Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, Donald Kilmurray, Chief Investment Officer of Davy, will take us through the reasons behind the stock market surge from earlier this week. Was it Joe Biden's presidential election win or positive news of a COVID vaccine from Pfizer? And is this bounce sustainable? But first, we're going to be looking at the implications for Ireland and for global trade of Joe Biden's win in the US presidential election. What will it mean for Ireland? Will it bring an end to Trump's damaging trade wars with the EU and China? And will it nudge the UK to conclude a trade agreement with the EU on Brexit in the hope of then securing a trade deal with the new administration in the US? Megan Green, a senior fellow of the Harvard Kennedy School in the US, and Fergal O'Brien, director of policy at Employers Group IBEC, join me on the line now to tease out these issues. Now, Megan Green, thank you for joining us. You're based in Boston. I'm sure you were uh, closely following the U.S. election there last week. I mean, to to most of us, uh, Joe Biden, the very clear winner, but we haven't had any concession yet from Donald Trump. And nobody's absolutely sure how the next couple of months are going to play out. Is he going to go quietly, as it were? What's your view and what impact might that have on the economy, the U.S. economy and globally as well? Yeah, so Donald Trump hasn't conceded the race yet um, and has vowed to contest a bunch of the election results. Um, I think that, though, if you look at the kind of margin of um, victory for Biden in most states in the Electoral College, it's a pretty clear victory. And he, he had many paths to victory. So I think Biden has pretty much won it in a landslide. So Trump will probably contest and launch a bunch of uh, lawsuits, but I don't think there's any real way that he can interfere with this result. Um, it, I think the biggest impact of him trying, though, is probably on the Senate runoff races in Georgia, which will be held on January 5th, and they'll determine who controls the Senate. So the Democrats have to win both seats, so there are two races, in order to command the Senate, and that would constitute a blue wave. So then the Democrats will be in charge of the White House, the Senate, and the Congress, which they would need to get Biden's very ambitious program anywhere close to off the ground. If the Senate goes to Republicans, then it will be much harder for Biden to enact the spending plans that he put forward. Just explain to people, Megan, if you can, how different a Biden presidency will be or would have been um, rather than Trump. What, what difference does it make to the American economy? 
So there are huge differences between the platforms that the candidates put forward. Biden proposed $7 trillion of spending over 10 years. So his proposal definitely marks um, bigger spending, uh, which is great in the short term, given that we're all in the middle of a pandemic and parts of the world are shut down. But also in the medium to long term, a lot of Biden's spending plans um, were focused on health care, so expanding the Affordable Care Act. But also the second biggest envelope in his spending plan was a huge green infrastructure program, which would serve to create a bunch of jobs and upgrade the U.S. workforce because those kinds of jobs are high-wage, high-hour jobs. And for the most part, over the last decade, the U.S. has primarily created low-wage, low-hour jobs so that the hourly service workers who hardly made it back on their feet after the global financial crisis were the first ones knocked back off in this pandemic when we all shut down our economy. So a huge infrastructure program um, would certainly help address that in the medium to long term and also retool the country for sustainability. The one area where um, international audiences are always surprised to hear me say there isn't a huge difference between the two candidates is actually on trade. And so the means by which the two candidates would achieve trade goals are very different. So Biden is much more of a multilateralist. He wants to form coalitions with our allies, particularly in the EU, who we've um, we've certainly pushed ourselves away from over the past four years, as opposed to Trump, who's much more interested in bilateral trade deals. Um, So ironically, the UK is is probably not thrilled that Biden's won just in terms of Brexit alone, because it will be much harder to get a US-UK trade deal with Biden in the White House than it would have been with Trump. But, um, you know, Trump is into tariffs. Biden is not that interested in imposing more tariffs, but probably won't immediately repeal the ones that exist unless the US can extract concessions, So, but particularly on China. Although steel and aluminum tariffs might disappear Um, And in exchange for that, Biden might support steel producers in the U.S. through the Buy American program. But ultimately, both both candidates were interested in industrial policy and trying to encourage manufacturing back home with tax breaks and subsidies. Um, And so if you look at the Make America Great Again strategy and the Buy American strategy, Biden's strategy, there's not a whole lot of water between them, ultimately. Um, And the trade goals are the same to kind of stand up protect U.S. interests, um, but the means by which the two candidates would uh, try to achieve them are very different. Fergal Ryan, coming to you, what's the view of IBEC members on Joe Biden's uh, victory? Is there a sense of relief or does it really make a difference? Um, yes, Karen. The, the, the U.S. Ireland economic relationship is always incredibly important. Um, I suppose traditionally the focus is very much on the inbound and the, the presence and the importance of U.S. companies here, you know, employing 150,000 people, seven billion in our wages, and the investment that's happened over the years. But increasingly in recent years, it's outbound as well now. So we have, you know, a similar number of Irish companies very active in the U.S. Um, significant employers making lots of investment. So it, it very much is a kind of genuine bilateral relationship. Um, traditionally, I suppose the big issues that we'll always look at from an economic perspective policy perspective out of the U.S. administration is going to be tax and trade. Um, Very much agree with what Megan is saying in terms of a lot of the America first, I think, emphasis is going to remain. So we don't expect to see an an overnight change. 
but I think the tone and the nature of the dialogue is is going to be quite different. Um, I think again that that emphasis back on multilateralism is going to be really important in terms of supporting those global institutions. You know, the, the WTO in the context of trade, but lots of other international and global institutions. I think are going to be incredibly important as well. Um, the tax agenda, it's really important period at the moment um that's incredibly important for for foreign direct and business based in ireland in the context of where the work of the oecd and the base erosion profit shifting the beps work is going it's at a critical juncture and i think one of the issues obviously post-crisis is i think there will be a renewed focus on the global tax agenda Uh, there'll be a renewed focus on coordinated approaches to the digital economy. Um, so I think that's going to be quite important um, for, for, from an Irish perspective. Um, and then probably the, the third main pillar is going to be the Brexit implications and this shared island economy and initiative that our government is now driving. Uh, I think the US probably will have renewed interest. I think we're going to see a lot of people in the new uh, US administration that have, have quite a background, uh, quite an interest in, in Ireland. Uh, it's always been there, irrespective of whether it's Republican uh, or Democrat. I think with the Biden administration, we would see, I think, some re-energization uh, of, of that interest. And in the context then of where that leaves the pivot of Northern Ireland between a UK-US trade deal, uh, an EU-US trade deal, and an EU-UK trade deal, it actually becomes critically important. Uh, so I think there are kind of key dimensions that business is going to be looking at. But I suppose more than anything, it's probably a key takeaway from the conversations I've had with, with Irish businesses and, and um, representatives from the, from the FDI community over the past week or so has been, we don't expect a major overnight shift, but it is going to be quite a different tone and method of engagement as well as around some of these global challenges that we're all looking at. Yeah, Megan Green, let's talk about Brexit maybe. Um, the EU and the UK are still working on a trade agreement. We don't have it yet. Can't be sure that we'll get one. Um, obviously, uh, the British government changed the text of their uh, internal markets bill, um, which essentially uh, avoided um, some parts of the previous withdrawal agreement that they had signed with the European Union. Um, and President Trump seemed to be uh, pretty warm about a trade deal between the UK and the US, suggesting that it would be high up his agenda. Uh, where does it stand with Joe Biden, do you think? Well, I think it's worth remembering that Joe Biden was vice president when Obama came over and said very clearly to the UK, you know, if you want a trade deal, you can get in the back of the queue. Um, and so Biden was aligned with that. Um, he was uh, clearly against Brexit, um, has declared it to be a mistake. Uh, and I think that, you know, first of all, when Biden comes in, he's got a lot to deal with at home. Um, most of our fiscal stimulus measures expired in July. Uh, so the U.S. economy is kind of running on fumes as our virus load increases and we face into winter. So I think the focus will probably be the domestic agenda. But insofar as there is activity in terms of foreign policy, a a UK-US trade deal will be much more difficult to get under Biden. Um, Because as I said before, Biden is interested in multilateralism and and wants to form partnerships with our allies, and that includes the EU. So 
I wouldn't expect a U.S.-U.K. trade deal any time. I think it probably didn't help that, you know, Boris Johnson <clears throat> took a long time to accept the that, you know, Trump had lost. And so finally he's done so and, and he and President-elect Biden have spoken. Um, Biden highlighted that the U.K. can't threaten the, the Good Friday Agreement. So, um, you know, I, th- I think that's an absolute priority for the U.S. It always has been, but it's very clear under Biden that it continues to be. And mind you, I think on his first day, uh, on Monday, uh, essentially, the first day that everybody accepted that Joe Biden had, you know, clearly won the election contest, um, the EU slapped a whole bunch of new tariffs on US goods, I think three and a half uh, billion worth. And we know in Ireland that Kerrygold butter and Irish whiskey have got caught up in the crosshairs of these uh, trade wars in the past uh, year or two. So uh, it was a bit of a welcome Joe uh, kind of moment, it, it felt. I'm sure the European Union, it was just a matter of timing. It was unfortunate timing. He doesn't actually take office until January, I know. So uh, a lot can happen between now and then. But this trade war, um, it's still hanging in the air, isn't it? It's not uh, just because Joe Biden has has won the contest. It's not. It's not necessarily going to go away straight away. That's right. And to be fair, I think it was smart of the EU to go ahead and impose those tariffs because, of course, the U.S. has imposed tariffs on the EU in this airline spat previously. And so I think that the EU doing um, sort of a countermeasure is a way of bringing the U.S. to the negotiating table. So, um, you know, the trade war is not going anywhere necessarily in that the U.S. now certainly has a more protectionist approach um, but it will probably be a bit less nationalistic, uh, if that makes sense. And so I don't think that the Biden White House will approach trade with an emphasis on bilateral trade balances, which Trump was sort of maniacally focused on, which made no economic sense. Um, nor do I think that a Biden White House will be interested in imposing ever escalating tariffs that could escalate into an investment war and a currency war. I, I don't think that that's the direction the Biden White House will go in. And and as I said, though, don't expect all these tariffs to disappear all of a sudden just because the Democrats have won the presidency. Um, I think that they'll disappear if the U.S. extracts concessions. And that is what I expect in this airline um, spat, that both the EU and the U.S. will repeal tariffs. Um, There is a lot of repairing to do in the transatlantic relationship, but I think that's a priority for Biden. Fergal, obviously we're still in the middle of a pandemic. We've had some positive news earlier this week on the Pfizer vaccine. It might be available uh, later this year. There are other vaccines uh, very, you know, at a a similar stage almost. Um, But in terms of U.S. investment into Ireland, as long as we have the pandemic, as long as it's hanging over the global economy, U.S. investment, I mean, how do you see U.S. investment in Ireland next year, um, given that the pandemic is, is still going to be with us in some shape or form? And what is one of the most particular features of the Irish economy this year, you know, we speak about it internationally, is this phenomenon of the K-shaped recovery, you know, that we have these sectors constrained by the virus continuing to, to suffer and face very tough trading conditions. And then we have other sectors in life sciences and technology, for example, lots of our food sector, uh, notwithstanding the challenges of Brexit, doing incredibly well. So we could well be coming out of a year this year for the Irish economy that there's little or no fall in GDP. 
actually, even though we know that many, many sectors in the domestic economy are going to be very severely impacted. But that's been mapping across to our tax revenue as well, because notwithstanding the concerns that some economists will have in terms of the, the read of GDP to the real economy, the reality is that's where our tax comes from. And that, that's what this pandemic has actually proven. Our tax our tax take probably won't have fallen at all, at all this year or very, very marginally. So, so that investment and high-tech sector of the economy has proved incredibly resilient. I think we've also been really fortunate in that we've got this really strong density of business in Ireland that's done well globally in the pandemic, and an awful lot of them are here. So, you know, you look at all the top-performing U.S. companies uh, over this last six to eight months, and most of them have very, very significant operations in Ireland. They're all still in expansionary mode, uh, and we'd expect Ireland to to get that benefit. Um, You know, but the pandemic, of course, it impacts on trade um, and it does impact on investment decisions. There is a caution out there. Uh, we need to be able to return to all of the things that support normal trading relationships like business travel, for example. That, that, that is important in terms of okay, you can go through a period of time maybe where it doesn't happen. In the long term, you, know, you, you do need to get back to that normal business activity that supports your kind of trade and, and investment relationships. But I think that outlook remains positive. I think when you look at the depth and the scale of investment that has happened in the Irish economy, a lot of so much of it from, from, from US corporates, obviously, um, that's bringing a real kind of long-term substance to the Irish business model. That's a real significant commitment to their presence in, 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 in the Irish economy. That's not going to change overnight because of political changes or because of some, some challenges in the global economy. These are real long-term commitments. And I think even in the context of the response to the pandemic, we're going to be very deep in a lot of the sectors, particularly life sciences, that are going to benefit a lot in terms of some of that investment and that and that increase in activity. Yeah, Fergal, you mentioned some of the companies, US companies that have big operations here. You know, we can think of Microsoft or Facebook, Google, many others, and thousands of people employed here. But if, if there's one thing the pandemic has done, it's put a big question mark over the future of the office. Obviously, a lot of people have gone through remote working. Some of them very much like it. A lot of the Google, Facebook staff, etc., dispersed all over the world, back to their home countries, and have been working away very effectively. So uh, are the American companies in the future, uh, and even the ones that are here right now, are they going to need as much office space as they did? Are they going to have the need for uh, so many people to be gathered in the one location in somewhere like Dublin? I, I think that the, the future of the office... <laughs> Is, 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 look, it's crucially important for all for a whole range of aspects of the economy. You know, it's how our kind of cities function and all of the the, the service industries that are built around it. So it's an incredibly important sector of our economy. Um, I think people will want to go back to the office, not the way we were before. Obviously, the world of work changes an awful lot. I think there's a couple of crucial elements to it, um, particularly in sectors such as technology. We need we need those collaborative spaces. You know. People have to be working together in terms of supporting the innovation and the R&D. I don't think we'll be doing the transactional activity the way that we were in the past, but we'll still be coming together in a reshaped office, but a form of an office. And then I think the second part of your question, Karen, is I think we need to be in the same jurisdiction. That's important for a whole range of reasons, personal tax reasons, corporate tax reasons, the whole range of, 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 of corporate tax issues as to why your employees have to be in the tax jurisdiction. And I think for a lot of companies, as we go into 2021, they'll want their employees back in the jurisdiction and they'll want the option quite quickly to bring them back into offices so we can get back to these strategic issues around collaboration, innovation, developing the business. But you do need people working together in those collaborative spaces. The the world of the office changes, but the office doesn't disappear. 
Megan, I don't know how close to the Brexit debate you are. We, we still don't have a deal between the uh, UK and the EU. Time is running out. It has to be signed by the end of this year. But do you think a Biden presidency or a, a Biden victory in the election in any way um, changes the dynamic of, of that negotiation? Does it maybe nudge um, the UK uh, towards a negotiation a bit more? Um, does it strengthen the hand of the EU? I don't know. What, what do you think? So I think it does both those things. If a US-UK trade deal won't be easy to clinch for Boris Johnson, he's got to be thinking, well, I, you know, I should really figure something out with the EU. Um, so I thought an EU-UK trade deal, a very slim one that only covers goods and therefore only about 20% of the economy, was very likely um, before the end of the year regardless of what happened with the U.S. election. But I think it's it's a bit more likely, actually, with Biden in the White House um, because the U.K. just can't rely on a bilateral trade deal with the U.S. now. Um, and it does strengthen the EU's hand in that the U.S. Um, will want to engage the EU in in trade increasingly. And so I think Boris Johnson has, has figured this out uh, and should be more motivated to um, negotiate a trade deal by the end of the year. But again, I think it will be an incredibly skeletal one. I mean, given the time frame that was set out from the start, it was always going to be impossible to come up with a comprehensive deal that dealt with goods and services. Um, and given that they haven't made <clears throat> all that much progress um, over the course of this year, uh, I think, it, you know, it will just be a deal that covers trade and goods. Um, and that will be unsatisfactory, but better than just going to WTO rules. I mean, in, at a time when the WTO has absolutely no teeth. Yeah, Fergal, uh, what about that? Megan suggesting a skeletal deal between uh, the UK and the European Union. What would that mean for Ireland? I think, I think it probably has always been the most likely outcome right throughout the year, even before pandemic. Um, avoiding tariffs is is crucial you know for the viability of of, of so many businesses um you know if 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 tariffs come into the equation for sectors such as food and drink you know you're looking at a one and a half billion hit to that sector alone so getting even a skinny trade deal is incredibly important um so much of this is going to continue beyond 31st of december um i think there's going to be lots of follow-up all sorts of okay we might have finished the formal negotiations right but there's lots of issues on the services uh, and, and other aspects of the, the future economic relationship that are going to have to be carried forward. Getting the skinny trade deal gives us a much more positive platform to have those future negotiations and the engagement on the relationship. So it's, it's a very important kind of launch pad to figure out and ultimately nail all of the parameters of the relationship. If we don't get the skinny trade deal, then all of those issues become much more complex. Um, I think the U.S. election is significant in terms of, again, that commitment from the Biden administration, the incoming Biden administration to the Good Friday uh, Agreement. Uh, I think it, it definitely um, ups, I think, the, the pressure on the U.K. side to make sure that that protocol is is implemented, is working, and delivers for the, for the all-island economy. I think there's a lot more focus on that now post-U.S. election outcome. And finally, um, to you, Megan, just two quick questions. One, um, how confident are you of a smooth transition from Trump to Biden? And secondly, what, what do you think the biggest impact will be from a Biden presidency, let's say, in the first six months of next year? Uh, so I'm very confident there will be a transition from Trump to Biden. I think it will, would be um, almost impossible, I think, for Trump to successfully contest this election, though I, I think he'll certainly try. 
Um, and, you know, the biggest impact in the first six months depends a lot on how that Senate race or those two Senate runoff races in Georgia go. I actually expect they'll probably go to Republicans, and so the Democrats won't hold a majority in the Senate, and that will constrain Biden's ambitious plans pretty significantly. But um, but I do think that he can manage to get, first of all, an immediate stimulus package to sort of fill in the hole that we fell down when we locked our economy down in, in response to the virus. Um, that will be significant in the short term. But also, I think, um, a, a fairly ambitious infrastructure spending plan, hopefully a, a green infrastructure program will take shape um, fairly quickly for the Biden um, White House as well. So I, I think that will leave a, a lasting mark on the U.S. economy in a positive way. OK, well, let's hope so. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, Megan Green and Fergal O'Brien, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Karen. We'll take a short break now, after which Donna Kilmurray of Davey will join me to explain the reasons behind the stock market bounce from earlier this week. At Davy, we know your well-being should be financial as well as personal. And now, when it's a little more challenging, if you're in a position where you have a pension, it's never been more important to get active. So talk to one of our trusted advisors now, and we can help you find a solution for your pension needs. A solution that could help you feel better about your financial future. Let's start the conversation. Call us today or search Davy. Davy, it's not just business. It's personal. Janey Davy Trading as Davy is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. I'm joined on the line now by Donna Kilmurray, Chief Investment Officer of Davy, who will take us to the reasons behind the stock market surge from earlier this week. Now, Donna Kilmurray, uh, welcome back to Inside Business. Uh, on Monday, the market soared around the world and news that, uh, I suppose, first Joe Biden had won the US election, but also, more importantly, that Pfizer and its German partner had a vaccine for coronavirus that may be 90% effective and could be available uh, by the end of this year. Hospitality stocks in Ireland and airlines, op- hotel operators, retailers all surged on the news in the S&P. Uh, 500 went uh, very close to a new high. So is this a game changer for markets this year? Maybe game changer is a bit too strong a word, but there's definitely an awful lot of good, good going on. And, and you touched on a couple of them. It's not just the vaccine, and that's huge news. It's also the presidential election, the outcome there, the combination of, how we say, um, a more professional, more diplomatic president along with the Republican Senate. So you're looking at a combination of more responsible leadership, but nothing coming on the tax side, more business-friendly in, in, in the Congress. And you're also, people that have forgotten about it, the economic data of America was really good last week. Great GDP numbers, great ISM numbers, the survey's up to 59, jobs numbers are better. So across the board, there are loads of good things coming out of the US market. And the vaccine was, you could call it the ice on the cake, but fantastically good news, yeah. Yeah, now I mentioned hospitality stocks. Maybe just um, talk through some of those. Ryanair, for example, uh, was up. Delata, the biggest hotel chain in Ireland, the listed company, that was up as well. And we also saw some of the retailers, the likes of Marks and Spencer and Sports Direct, companies that would be familiar to Irish consumers. They also had a good day, didn't they, on Monday? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's one of those things where you have to, and I, I don't want to become a, a wet blanket here, but when you're looking at who the beneficiaries are out of this situation, you say, okay, well, some companies are doing, have had a struggle this year because they've been in a business that's been a very adversely affected by the virus and everything associated with it and the lack of traffic and the lack of activity. Some companies were in a bad spot before the virus hit. So if you look at Ryanair, Ryanair, and I'm not a stock picker, it's not a recommendation for anybody, but Ryanair, if you look at how it runs its business, you look at its cost basis, how it works, um, it, it was one of the leading airlines in Europe anyway. 
So yes, it makes sense to traffic down, Ryanair down. But if we get a rebound in air traffic, it's one of the best positioned. But I wouldn't go chasing all the airlines because some of them are in a bad way for multiple reasons. They're bad before the virus, they'll be a bad way after the virus. The same for hospitality companies. You know, uh, Delata obviously did very, very well. But if you look at Hertz, for example, this is something that the the Robin Hood day traders fell in love with back in the day, back back in March, and they, they, they bought on a bankruptcy bounce. That stock was in big trouble for years. It was $100 back in 2014, fell to $15, $16 at the start of this year. It wasn't the virus that killed Hertz. So, you know, getting rid of the virus won't necessarily fix it. So, again, I'd caution against people saying, what did really badly in the last six months? Therefore, buy it, it'll bounce. But look before the virus and find companies that were doing well before the virus that just had that knockdown. So the ones you mentioned, Ryanair on the travel side, the Latin hotel side. The Latin, of course, has an awful lot of debt, which needs to fig- figure out. But Ryanair, definitely a winner in its sector. And as travel comes back, even more a winner. Yeah, and of course, there's still a long road to travel here. Um, it's 90% effective. I don't think the, the vaccine has been peer-reviewed as yet. We've seen a lot of um, the experts uh, come out and say, well, you know, we haven't seen the data yet. Let's have a look at the data. So positive news. But there's still a long way to go before this comes to market and before it's available in a mass way across the population and everybody gets vaccinated and so forth. So is this the right time to be buying into stocks such as Ryanair, such as Delata or Marks & Spencer? Well, I wouldn't make it about those stocks in particular, but this is a really important point that people, and look, the market is full of emotions, right? It's not a rational thing. It's not a computing machine. It's full of people's emotions. It's a voting machine. And if you look at um, exactly what you mentioned, this is the, the first release of the of the phase three tests on on this particular one. Now, Moderna are probably going to come out very soon. AstraZeneca are going to come out very soon. But this is the, the phase three. That, and in the case of the of the test just came out, it was based on 94 cases. Yes, they tested, for, they tested 43,000 people. But they had 94 cases where they could test was the, the treatment actually working. So we need to do much, much more of this. They will be allowed to probably get some emergency use from the, from the, the, in the US. There's an emergency use procedure where you only go through two months after testing to make sure it's safe rather than the full six months. So the six months, they're going to be full approval probably in April of next year. They started producing in advance of that. But if you look at the amounts they can produce and how they distribute this stuff, it's going to be well into next year, probably the latter half of next year, before they've even got 50% of the population in the US or, or large European countries vaccinated. And that's assuming people want to take the vaccine. So it's probably 2022 before we really have widespread vaccination and widespread you know, improvement in the economy where we feel safer to go out and spend and do all those things. But the stock market looks ahead. The stock market, like I said, it, it's a voting machine. It's based on sentiment. It doesn't care if the data is bad now. It looks at what's the data going to look like in a year or two's time. So to your question... You know, is now the right time to buy stocks? I wouldn't say now is the right time, but if you're, if someone is, is thinking of being invested, now is a pretty good time to start scaling in. We've actually gone overweight in our portfolios. We did it a month or two ago based on a lot of different reasons, but we do things in steps. So a client got very excited. They're very worried about the vaccine, getting more excited and positive now. Now would be a time to start, to start stepping in. But I wouldn't put all the money in just yet. Right, okay. I read somewhere that uh, Pfizer, I mean, it obviously got a big bounce this week on that positive news, but it's actually trading below the level where it was in 2000. Now, a lot of things have happened uh, in the meantime. Obviously, we've had recessions and uh, banking crashes and and all of that, but it's it's, uh, quite a a remarkable statistic nonetheless. Yeah, it's very true. And and look, this goes again back to the idea that some companies were doing better or worse before the virus. And just because we get through the virus doesn't mean they're they're, they're better off. And there was the, the question asked of, the big pharma companies, is it really in their interest financially to be spending all this money in vaccines when, when you look at the, 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 
the mood in the world these days, it's not like they can charge hundreds of dollars for these vaccines. They're talking about twenty dollars a shot for the, for this right now. So the question is, how profitable can it really be, given the expense it's going to be to distribute and everything? But really, you know, this could be a new lease of life, a whole new range of of medicines that could come out of the pharma sector of this. So I wouldn't judge Pfizer basically on what happened the last twenty years because of different, very different environment. We're now in a new phase of healthcare. So it could be, and this is not just about Pfizer itself, it could be about the whole pharma sector, a whole range of new things coming out, but importantly, not at the massive spreads, the massive margins they're making on previous things. So it's good for them, obviously, but not maybe as good as the headlines suggest. Don't I just uh, ask you about the American election? Because Joe Biden, I mean, to, to most of us, he seems to be a very clear winner. Um, he's certainly accepted the results uh, a lot of people in America have, but Donald Trump doesn't uh, doesn't seem to have accepted it yet. He's talking about voter fraud and uh, alleging all sorts of things, and there are legal challenges um, still going on. There's no sign that Donald Trump is going to go quietly, as it were. So I'm just wondering what impact that might have on the markets over the next couple of months. The um, Joe Biden is, is due to be sworn in as president in January, and what happens if Donald Trump? for whatever reason or however he does it, I don't know. But if he just refuses to leave the White House, he refuses to accept the result. I wish we knew. I mean, the truth is we're in uncharted territory. Now, he has two months to come to his senses, but given what we know of the man, he's not a man who, who accepts defeat. And he's a man who likes litigation. So we, this thing could drag out for quite some time. It's interesting that Attorney General Barr, rather than doing what usually happens, which is let the states themselves decide what happened in their elections, they put a federal investigation on this. So this is a different level of litigation than we usually see around elections. So it indicates that they're more serious than usual and it'll drag on for longer. But based on everything we've seen and all people we talk to, the legal case is very, very weak. All the people at the state level who investigate things have already found very, very little to go on. So the chance we know returned are very, very small. Then to your question of what happens if he just refuses to move? Well, he's, I mean, for a man who appointed lots of generals to who his staff early on in his administration, he is, it's probably safe to say, fallen out of love with the military and they've fallen in love with him. So if it gets down to it, and this is a really extreme scenario, I'm not talking about troops storming the White House, but he won't have any real support from the uh, law enforcement agencies or from the military to do some kind of, um, whatever the reverse of a coup is, it's not a case of taking over, it's a case of not leaving his position. We don't think he has the support of the people that matter to keep him in the White House if he wants to stay. Right. And how do markets react to that kind of scenario? Well, this goes back to when you asked me, is this the right time to be, to be putting money into the market? There's going to be lots of things that could go right around in the next few months. One of them is, of course, we may get a delay. It may turn out that the virus, you know, when you test it, we get a large number of results for a large number of people. Maybe it's not as effective as we thought. Maybe there are safety issues. That could happen. One of the other big things is President Trump could lash out in the next couple of months. As we know, he's a, a tough-to-predict, emotional kind of guy, and he's, he acts on very base instincts. You could see him lash out with trade edicts against China, against Europe. The European Union has just agreed to put three to four billion more tariffs on U.S. goods. He could lash out on that. So there are lots of things he could do that, you know, would be entirely in his nature and particularly likely to happen given his current state of mind, he could do to spike the general mood. The good news is they wouldn't be long-lasting. We will have a President Biden and a different administration come late January. So whatever he does is probably not long-lasting, but it could bring volatility for sure. And that's why anything we do, we do in various steps. All right, the other cloud hanging over the Irish economy certainly is Brexit, isn't it? Now, We've no certainty that we're going to get a trade agreement between Britain and the European Union by the end of this year. Joe Biden's uh, election as US president perhaps has clarified things um, slightly. I, I don't know because he has made clear that he doesn't want anything to happen that might jeopardize the, the peace agreement here in Ireland, the Good Friday Agreement. 
And uh, it'll be interesting to see. Britain obviously wants a trade deal with the United States, and if if Northern Ireland is in some way a bargaining chip, um, you know maybe that makes it more or less likely. I, I don't know. How do you see Brexit playing out? Well, that's, that's another one of those massive wild cards. And our chief economist here, Colin O'Quill, has written a lot about this. And the issue is you've got a, a certain person a certain way of behaving. In other words, President, Prime Minister Johnson has a certain way, as he has all his life, of you know making certain commitments and promises and then backing away and doing something different. So that makes us think that what he's doing with these negotiations is a bit of a bluff. The problem is the European Union know, know this too, so they're not taking that seriously. So there is a risk that both sides don't take the situation seriously enough because they both assume they will change their mind towards the end. But if either side has more to lose, it is the UK. So if we assume some kind of rationality in the part of the UK, and, we, and as exactly as you said, President Biden has made it clear he does not want the Good Friday Agreement jeopardised. He wants those parts of the legislation, the eternal bill, that refer to breaking the, the previous agreement from last year. He wants them taken out. The House Lords want them taken out. An awful lot of senior Tories want them taken out. Labour wants them taken out. So our best guess is that Boris Johnson will do what he normally does, make a big bluster, then behind the scenes he'll back down. And the only question really is, what kind of compromise do we have to make him back down? But our, our, our base case is there's some kind of backing down, some kind of fudge that happens between now and the end of the year that allows some kind of skinny deal to happen. Now, it's not going to be a great deal. It's going to be worse deal than Theresa May or, uh, went for. It's going to be a very skinny deal on goods and mostly not on services, particularly not on financial services. As far as Ireland goes, it's still a big risk. But our, our base case, like I said, is there's some kind of skinny deal. And in terms of the Irish uh, food companies, um, how exposed are they to Brexit? Very exposed. If you look at the amount of business that they do with, with the UK, very exposed. But the deal that I mentioned as a skinny deal would be a, a deal on goods. So that should be something that would, would work for the Irish um, food service industry. More difficult would be things like finance, any professional services, anything that involves a much higher level of, of treaty. But for the Irish companies who work on the goods side, our base case is that the deal would be okay for them. Okay. And just, I mean, we're coming to the end of the year, um, Donna, just in terms of equities. Um, what kind of year, how would you sum it up? And uh, for people's pensions, a lot of people out there worrying about their pensions and, you know, equity markets are the up or down and how's that going to uh, affect the value of their pension? What's the, what's the likely outcome for from the year as a whole, do you think? Well, we keep on getting, if you said to the start of the year, you know, without any idea of what was going to happen with elections and with COVID and all that stuff, what kind of return would you take for the year? And we would have said anywhere between 5 and 10%. And we were almost there uh, early in September, we're almost there again if, if you look at the US market. As far as global, we've lagged a little bit. So despite all the noise and all the mess, we're not a million miles away from where we thought we might be. But that's extraordinary given what's happened. So a lot of what we're seeing in the returns of the market this year, as I mentioned earlier, is anticipation of better times next year and the following year. So while it's good for now, you know, to get away with barely flat on the year given what happened is remarkable. But it does mean we've taken some returns from next year. So I'd say to people in pensions who have... Who have written a pretty bumpy ride this year, that yes, it's great we've gotten back up to where we started, maybe a little bit ahead, depending on which markets you're in. But it means, apart from a kind of a, a recovery boost, reflation boost, and a vaccine boost, we'll get next year a little bit, the returns to your pension next few years are unfortunately going to be lower than usual. All right. Well, on that grim note, we shall end there. Donald Kilmurray, Chief Investment Officer of Davy, thank you for joining Inside Business. It's great. Thank you very much. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Megan Green, Fergal O'Brien and Donald Kilmurray. Thanks also to our sponsor, Davy Group, for its continued support. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care and stay safe. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.